here tonight. And this is the most expensive trip to the pulpit <laughs> that I've ever made. And I, but fortunately, I didn't have to do it on my own dime. Amen. <laughs> it's good to be with you again. And uh, I feel the same about Brother Harold. And I appreciate the Lord letting us cross paths. And uh, he really is a friend. And uh, I, I think often of how blessed I am in that regard. I heard a man say one time that you only get a handful of friends in your lifetime. And I've definitely got more than a handful. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. And uh, some, some of my new friends I met here a year ago. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. And I uh, praise the Lord for those of you that we've had the privilege of fellowshipping with in the past, uh, in the past year. Uh, text messages and phone calls. I've preached for some of you. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. And uh, I tell you, we are part of a big family. And uh, I'm glad that I get to meet so many of my brother and si brothers and sisters on this side of eternity. And I appreciate this conference. I appreciate this church. Thank you so much for your labors, your efforts. And uh, I know what it takes to put on something like this. And it takes from, uh, from, uh, from the smallest to the biggest as far as the, the, the necessity to get it accomplished. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you for the rooms and thank you for... Uh, just making it easy uh, to, to come and to be here. And uh, I want to say thank God for his spirit and his presence in this meeting. And thank God for the word. All of you that have preached have blessed me and helped me. And uh, I thank God for the book. And I thank God for men that he's called that take it seriously. They get behind the pulpit and open it and tell me what thus saith the Lord. Uh, I'm not interested in man's opinion. I want to hear what God has to say. And uh, the only place to find that's in the Word of God. And so I thank you for those of you that have labored in word and doctrine in this time together. How you've challenged my heart. And I want to just try to mind the Lord. Some of you are going to be getting a rerun. I've preached from this text before. Uh, but, I, but I thank God for His Word. 1 Thessalonians is where we'll be tonight. 1 Thessalonians. And this might get ugly because that page just tore out of my Bible. <laughs> Amen. That's a blessing. <laughs> leave, leave them fans low. Hallelujah. I don't know how this will go now, brother. At least it ain't my notes. I heard a fella, and I just rebound this one. I, did, I heard a fella last week, he was talking about going somewhere, preaching in an outdoor meeting, and he said he got up in the pulpit, and a big gust of wind came through right as he opened his Bible, and he said, last time I saw my sermon, it was blowing down through a cow pasture. <laughs> so at least, thank God, I still got it here, amen? <laughs> All right. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. I, I used to tell the church where I pastored, can't even read without him. And that's the truth, isn't it? What can we do without him? Not a thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege to gather together just like we are. Lord, knowing that we may never, never gather just like this again. But Lord, also knowing that the reason we have tonight goes back to an old rugged cross where you died to pardon us. 
Lord, it goes back farther than that. Lord, back before the world was. I thank you, Lord, that you're on your throne tonight. I thank you that you have a redeemed people that you've called out of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your dear Son. Lord, I thank you that we're a part of the household of God tonight. Thank you for the meeting thus far, all you've spoken to our hearts about. I pray that we'd be not only hearers but doers. Lord, I beg you tonight as we look again at your word that you would speak to us. Lord, I thank you tonight that we have a God who talks to us, listens, is attentive unto us, but then speaks to us. Lord, I pray you'd do it here this evening. God, would you give me unction and utterance to preach? I can't, but you can. Help me, Lord, I pray. Feed your people, encourage them. And Lord, in a crowd this size, there's no doubt some who are yet outside of the grace of God. I pray tonight would be the night that you draw them to yourself in power and save them by your marvelous grace. I love you tonight because you first loved me. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? You've got your place there in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. There are 10 verses in this chapter, and I want to read all of them together tonight. I don't know if we'll get to hit everything that is in my, uh, my, my sermon, my, my mind tonight, but there are some emphasis that I'll try to make. But beginning in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. 
There is a pertinent principle to our text stated in the book of Ecclesiastes and the fourth chapter. Verse 12 of that chapter says this, that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. In our text in verse number 3, we find a threefold cord that runs throughout the Word of God. He says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Faith, love, and hope are here given as prime qualities of the members of the church in Thessalonica. Their presence in the lives of those believers enabled Paul to say in verse 4, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. This is the threefold cord of the New Testament. Paul in many of his epistles list these things so subtly as if to say that they are just woven into the fabric of God's churches and God's people. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. In Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. These three characteristics are the purest evidence of salvation. That's laid out clearly in Hebrews 6, beginning in verse number 9. The writer says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, And do minister, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He had just given that list of those that had tasted the good things of God and heard the good word of God, but he said, Those things in and of themselves are not the proof of salvation. He said, but I am persuaded better things of you and things that do accompany salvation. And then he lists this threefold cord, faith, hope, and love. 
Therefore, I would submit that every true Christian, every true church will exemplify these three qualities, faith, hope, and love. According to verse 3 of our text, this threefold cord was present in Thessalonica. We find in these verses that this fact provoked four responses in the heart of the great apostle. First, in verse 2, we find that it provoked appreciation. He said, we give thanks always to God for you all. He expressed gratitude to God because these things were evident in their lives. Secondly, this produced and provoked an advocacy on the part of Paul. He said in verse 2 again, making mention of you in our prayers. Because he saw these things in their lives, he was moved to pray for the saints at Thessalonica. And thirdly, this provoked admiration. Verse 3, he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. He admired them. He remembered them. He thought fondly of them. And then finally, this threefold cord running through the lives of these Thessalonian believers provoked in Paul an assurance. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Someone mentioned today uh, the old adage that we don't know who the elect are. That's true until they're saved. But once they're saved, there are some marks. There are some evidences that they have been elected unto salvation by the God of heaven. And Paul said here the evidence is threefold. Faith, and he puts it in this order, love and hope. Faith, love, and hope. When it comes to the matter of salvation, a lot of people base whether or not they are saved on some experience that they had in the past. And I believe salvation is an experience. It may not be flashbang and something like the Apostle Paul encountered when he fell off uh, on his back and saw a light and saw Jesus himself. It may just be subtle. The night I got saved, I said to the Lord, Lord, whatever's left of my life belongs to you. God worked in me so to will that, and I've walked with him ever since. That was my salvation. There was no uh, big stirring. There was not a, a large movement. It was just God doing a work in my heart. But there was an experience. But if that night was all that I had... I would be struggling tonight to tell you that I am sure that I am elect. You see, that's just the beginning. There are things to follow our salvation. There are experiences that come after our experience. There is a relationship. There are evidences that come forth from our life if we've genuinely been born again. So Paul said, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Now maybe tonight you perceive yourself to be elected. 
count yourself happy tonight if there's proof of that in your life in the means of faith, hope, and love. But as we think about it in the lives of these Thessalonians, I want to examine those three chords uh, individually tonight, and I may not get far beyond the first because it consumes this chapter for the most part. But notice with me the work of faith. The work of faith. I would mention as we consider this, first of all, their encounter with this faith. Verse number 5. Notice the character of the gospel that produced this faith. He says, verse 5, for our gospel came. Our gospel came. I like all of those words. I like the word our. Amen. That tells me of a crowd who have adopted this gospel as their own. That tells me of a crowd that when a God-denying, Bible-fighting world would say there's no truth in it, we would stand up with boldness in our soul and say, oh, contrary, there is truth in it. It is so. God did become flesh. He did die on a cross. He did rise again. And tonight he sits upon his throne. I believe that, don't you? That's my gospel, hallelujah. And that's your gospel if you're saved. Our gospel. Think about this gospel. Think of the necessity of it. It came. It must come. If one is elected, then he must hear the gospel or he'll never have any proof or evidence and he'll never make it to the city of God. I am not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God Unto salvation. What saves men? Programs. Plans. Prayers. Joining groups. No, no. The gospel. That is the dynamite power of God that saves sinners. That alone can bring a man out of darkness and in to light. Aren't you glad for the day, the glad hour of the night, when a stick of the dynamite of the gospel was slid under your seat, under your pew, under where you stood, and Brother God lit the fuse, and the power of God burst into the family of God. That's this gospel. When Paul said that in Romans, he wasn't saying, I'm not ashamed to hand out a track. No. He was walking into the hub of the philosophical realm of the world where all the brains were, all the smart guys were, all the coneheads were with all of their information and all of their ideas. And he said, I'm going to go in there among that crowd and I'm going to tell them that God came to earth and that he died and was buried and rose again. And God's going to save them and they're going to chunk all of their knowledge and all of their information and they're going to follow him. Glory to God for that. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to you. 
Oh, have you ever had an encounter with this faith? The necessity. Sam Gordon said this about it. He said the plain fact is, it is by the gospel that the church exists. It is by the church that the gospel spreads. Each depends upon the other. Each serves the other. Isn't that good? Oh, the inherent power of the gospel. Then the incumbent proclamation, it must be proclaimed. You know the verses in Romans 10 clearly. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? He says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Down in verse 17 he said, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Oh, the character of this gospel. We see its necessity. Think about its nature. Where did this gospel come from? Is this just a bunch of religious fanatics sitting around trying to come up with a book that they could sell and convince people to get involved in their little clique and their little group of religionists? Oh, no. Paul told us where it came from. He said in Galatians 1, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brother, our gospel came from heaven. And if you're going to get to heaven, you'll have to believe the gospel that came from heaven. That's the only one that will carry you back. It didn't come out of the heart of man. It didn't come out of the mind of intellectuals. It didn't come out of the depraved soul of a man who got alone in meditation and found himself. No, it came by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This gospel is supernatural. Amen. It's object. He says multiple times the phrase, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. It's in verse 1. It's again in verse 2. Twice. The Lord. It's in verse 1 twice. And again in verse 3. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the object of our gospel. That's who it's about. That's who it's from. That's who it gets us to. The Lord Jesus Christ. So the character of the gospel and the components of the gospel and it was dealt with good this morning I don't need to go into it far but I'll just remind you of it again for I delivered Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures that is the gospel. That is all of the gospel. There's nothing to be taken away and there's nothing to be added. That in and of itself is the gospel. That is the message that's the power of God and the salvation. That's what you believe when you are saved. That's what others will have to believe if they'll be saved. Thank God he came and he died for our sins and was buried and rose again. If you even leave the for our sins part out, you're in a mess. died for our sins that implies we were sinners 
That implies something was coming to us because of that sin. But he intervened. He interposed his precious blood. Oh, thank God for the gospel tonight. The components in the companions of the gospel. Notice what he says here. Do we think about this encounter of faith? He said, for our gospel came not unto you in word only. I think there's too much word only gospel being preached. Far too much. The Thessalonians were not saved just because they heard the facts of it and intellectually adhered to it. That's how, that's how so many people can catch people coming out of the supermarket with a bucket full of groceries and say, oh, have you heard what Jesus did for you? He died, was buried, rose again. If you believe that, pray this prayer. And then they tell them they're saved and they go away with no change in their life, no heart for God, no knowledge of God, no in intimacy with Him, and they die lost and go to hell if that's the way they stay. Word only. But it's not just that crowd. We've got bookworms that are guilty of it, don't we? Well, I've proclaimed the facts. I've laid out the information. That's great. Hey, whether in pretense or in truth, I'm glad Christ is preached. But listen to me. The Word has got to have some companions Amen. if men will be converted. What are they? Well, he tells us. Came not in word only. Also in power and in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance. The word power, same word in Romans 1, dunamis, came in power. Have you ever heard powerless preaching? I've heard some. Sad to say, I've probably done a little bit. What are we apart from the power of God? What can we ever hope to do? Because if it's not done in the power of God, whose power is it done in? Yours? Is that the only hope the world has? Is that the only hope for lost sinners? Your power and my power? If that's the case, we're doomed, brother. Came in power. He tells us where this power comes from and in the Holy Ghost. This miraculous power is attributed to a person. Let me say that again. To a person. Not an influence. Not a thing. Not an it. Not something you get a hold of. But someone who gets a hold of you. A person. God. Amen. I think a lot of Baptists have forgotten that the Holy Ghost is as much God as the Father and as much God as the Son. One in essence. The Holy Ghost is God. So if you're going to discount the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel, then you might as well go ahead and discount the ministry of God the Father and God the Son in your preaching. I would remind you whatever one member of the Trinity does the rest are amening when it comes to your salvation they're all involved he is all involved 
power that accompanied the person that accompanied us. John Stott said this. He said, the spirit without the word is weaponless. But he said, the word without the spirit is powerless. You remember Jesus' conversation by the well? When he talked about who God was seeking that would worship him, he said they must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. There must be constantly a balance with those two. If you get heavy on truth, there'll be no power. Get heavy on so-called power and lose the truth, and you don't really have power at all. There's a ditch on the both sides, isn't there? But spirit and truth tonight. Study. Learn the Bible. Know what it teaches. Know what it says. Understand it. Read everything sound you can get your hands on. But brother, when you've read to your eyes hurt and your head's busted, you better find a quiet place and get on your face with God and say, God, if I'm ever going to get this truth into the hearts of people, I need your power. I need your person. I need your touch on it. Because otherwise it's just words falling on deaf ears. Oh, God, help us to reclaim this. This is our inheritance. This is the heritage of the saints. When Jesus Christ ascended, He said, when I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter and He will convict, He will convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And if we try to do it apart from Him, we are failures. It cannot be done, brothers and sisters. So he said that there was some company with the gospel. Then there is the persuasion that accompanied, accompanied, he said, in much assurance. The term here denotes entire confidence on the part of those not only who proclaimed it, but of those who heard it. You ever been preaching? In the middle of it, preachers. And it just dawns on you how much you believe what you're preaching. <laughs> you ever had that happen? Yeah. Boy, isn't that blessed? Yeah. Preaching the truth. The unadulterated truth that was given unto us by the pure God of heaven. And brother, even in the midst of proclaiming it, that assurance will hit your heart. And if they don't believe it, if nobody believes it, thank God I believe it tonight. But it's even better when God helps them to believe it. You see, when Paul got done preaching, not only did they believe that Paul believed what he was preaching, but they believed what he was preaching. Much assurance. Only God can do that. There's so many in my life I wish I could do that for. They've heard it. Many of them have intellectually adhered to it. They've professed and they'll tell you to this day, oh yeah, I'm safe. I see no faith, no hope, no love in their life. But they say they're all right because they've intellectually believed. They, yeah, they'll nod their head, but they're lost. 
Maybe that's you tonight. I don't know. Yeah, you're at a conference, a preacher's conference, and some of you are preacher's wives, some of you lay people in the church serving the Lord. None of those things make you saved. Do you believe this? That's what's... That's where salvation is. Do you have this kind of faith? Have you had an encounter with this kind of faith that changed you forevermore? So we see the companions of the gospel, the components of the gospel, the character of the gospel. Then notice we have the carriers of the gospel. Look what he says in verse 5. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. The Spirit of God not only uses His Word, but He uses men. He uses people. I get tired of hearing people talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit of God in our lives as if it's something that's completely unplugged from us altogether. Yes, God touches His Word. I believe that. But I believe God touches His servants. Amen. I believe that happens. I believe He fills them. He indwells them. He empowers them. Matter of fact, I believe it's so strong that if He doesn't, they'll fall on their face every time. I can't do what's going on right now. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not charismatic enough. No, it's got to be God that'll do it or it won't get done. But he said, you know what manner of men we were. Oh, what manner of men were these? Our brother West did a great job this morning talking about the character of Paul. The kind of man he was. But you know this, he was still just a man. That's all he was. Just a man. Made out of the same stuff we're made out of. Fighting the same battles we're fighting. The same indwelling sin that we've got. Hey, Paul prayed one of the prayers I pray the most. Oh, wretched man that I am. That came from the lips of Paul. I'm glad he put that in there. But what manner of men were these? These were men with a heart for God. Holy men. Full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Men who desired to live pure who desired to live separate from this world, untainted by the sins of their societies. God help us to have the same conviction. God will not touch us and God will not use us if we don't deal with sin in our own hearts and in our own lives. In my short years in ministry, I've been saved 15 years. I just turned 15 in the Lord this month preached for nearly 12 in the pastorate. Through those times, I've seen men who fail. But you know what's sad? In almost every case, men who've committed adultery, men who've had wicked sin in their life, there's been a season where they were still just as active in ministry as ever. And you know after the fact that that had to be going on. I would to God that he would put such a fear and trembling in us that if there was even but a thought that would grieve him or quench him in our hearts 
that he would not allow us to even endeavor to open this book until that's dealt with. God convict us of sin again. We're so numb to it. We so allow it every day into our hearts and our minds. God convict us of that. There's a world that's dying and going to hell and the only hope they have is men and women who are living for God to tell them the truth in the power of God. The night I got saved, I was praying next to a dear sister, Miss Naomi White, Brother Brandon's sister-in-law. She's a a godly lady, loves the Lord. But I was there praying and I overheard her praying. And she said this. She said, Lord, let me see my sin like you see my sin. I want to see my sin like he sees it. I promise you this. If we begin to see our own sin the way God sees our sin... We're not going to worry about our neighbor's sin. We're not going to be tore up about the sins of society. We'll have enough in our own life to keep us busy. The greed and the pride and the jealousy and the covetousness and the discontentment and the unbelief from time to time, not to mention the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life that creep in day in and day out. God, convict us again of sin. Make us so sensitive that the slightest offense would grieve us to our core. What manner of men we were, men who sacrificed, dedicated to the point of their own disregard for themselves. Oh, what manner of men were these? The Spirit of God uses men But he uses holy men who walk close to him. It requires purity of life. It requires prayer. It requires that we be filled with the Spirit of God. So we see their encounter with this faith. But then we see their espousal of this faith. In verse 6, we see that this involves, first of all, regeneration. He said, you became Followers of us and of the Lord. The little word became here. It's genomahi. The Greek word genomahi. It literally means to come into existence. They didn't turn over a new leaf. Right? No. They weren't just renovated. Like you'd go in and tear a couple of walls out of a house and put a few more in. No, brother, when God births a sinner into the family of God, he tears it down to the bottom and rebuilds it all together. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. They were regenerated, given a new nature. The old stony heart was taken away and they were given a heart of flesh. God doesn't need our hearts to clean them up. He gives us new hearts. Hearts for Him. Hearts that love Him. Hearts that long for Him. Hearts that need Him. He became followers of us and of the Lord. 
He mentioned this morning that I want to be like you and thank God for that, but I want to be like you as far as you're like the Lord. Amen. Thank God for those in whom we see Christ-likeness became followers of us, began to be imitators of God, of Christ. Then it involves reception. He said, having received the word in much affliction, having received the word in much affliction. The word received here means literally to take with the hand. It denotes the acceptance of something presented as being true and to the claim of it as belonging to oneself. This is what I believe. That's the reception. They adopted the gospel as their own creed. This is the faith once delivered unto the saints for which we are to earnestly contend. Faith is the truest evidence of election. How can we know that we're elect? Do we believe? Have you believed the gospel? Are you trusting fully in Christ for the well-being of your soul now and for all of eternity? Apart from that, I don't know how you could know. They received it in much affliction. This was not some lightly made decision. They did not profess this faith in the midst of an emotionally charged invitation at some crusade directed by some charismatic orator or storyteller. No, they professed faith in the risen Christ of this gospel with the knowledge that it would cost them something. The message of the gospel is attended with a divine mandate to take up our cross and follow Him. Too many false professions are made because we tell people if they'll just believe on the Lord, life will be groovy and happy and they can tiptoe through the tulips and one day go to heaven. These people knew that when they professed faith in Christ and were publicly baptized before the Gentile world that hated them, that all hell was going to rain down on them. They understood that. But you know what they did? They professed faith in Christ and went down to the baptismal waters. And the Bible said they did it with joy of the Holy Ghost. They wasn't even upset about it. They were happy to do it. They counted it an honor that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Much affliction, but with joy of the Holy Ghost. R. Leonard Small once said that joy is the standard that flies on the battlements of the heart when the king is in residence. Oh, brother, that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Our joy is not based on circumstances, not based on whether or not we're being accepted or not, whether we have fat bank accounts or not, whether our plates are filled or not. Our joy is based on the simple fact that within us dwells the God of heaven in all of His glory, bringing to us joy unspeakable and full of glory. But not only 
And this espousal does involve regeneration and reception. It involves representation. Their pattern in verse 7, so that we ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. They were in samples. The word is tupo in the Greek. It literally means a figure formed by a blow or an impression. Thinking about a signet. The ring, they'd dip it in the wax and then they'd stamp that on that paper to let them know that belonged to the king. A figure formed by a blow. From this word, the word type in our English language is derived, which means to symbolize. He said, you became symbols. You became types to all that believe. Spurgeon said about this word in samples, he said, brethren, let us not only be Christians, let us be samples of Christians. They're sure to pick out the best for a sample. Oh, that we might be such that if God himself were to select Christians to show what they are like, he might select us to be those samples. I like to give the illustration because it happens to me more than I wish it did. You ever been watching the TV and a commercial for your favorite joint come on the food restaurant or whatever and you see... Oh, man, those Whoppers look good on the commercial, don't they? Has anybody ever got a Whopper through the drive-thru that looked like the one on the commercial? <laughs> I've never, never. I, I don't know who's making those things. I mean, lettuce is hanging out one side, tomatoes hanging out the other. Got this much ketchup and that much mustard. A half a pickle. What happened to the other half of my pickle? Where's it at? I want it. I demand it. I know my rights. The reason they show you the one they do in the commercials is because they want you to see the best they have to offer. I watched a program one time that told me how they make those things. You know, that ain't even a real sandwich. It's not. It's airbrushed. The sesame seeds are airbrushed in the perfect place to make me go through the drive-thru and get infuriated because mine don't look like that. But I'm afraid a lot of Christians got lettuce hanging out one side, tomato hanging out the other, half a pickle, four sesame seeds on the whole thing. Are you an ensample to anybody? Are your neighbors looking at you thinking, that fellow's what a Christian ought to be. That lady's what a Christian ought to be. Or do they look at us and think, they're not that much different than we are. They go everywhere we go, talk about everything we talk about, love everything we love. They were ensamples. The faith that they held... What they believed influenced how they behaved. And so it must. To all that believe. I thought about that. There were probably some young Christians in Thessalonica. But even they had something to teach all that believe. Some of you gray heads, you better be careful because you'll get to the place, you'll think you can't learn nothing from these young bucks. You'll miss out on some good in samples. 
good examples for you in your life. But the same goes for the young bucks too, don't it? You better pay attention to some of these saints that have been down the road a ways. You don't know everything. I don't care how many degrees you've got. There's some things they can't help you with there. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things that you can't read on a page somewhere and get any help from. God allows us all to be in samples one to another. Don't be a bad example. Be a good example. Their pattern, then their proclamation. Here's how I know they had the real thing. Look at verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. He said, all of a sudden you became preachers of the gospel. If you're saved, you're to be a preacher of the gospel. Not in the Methodist way or the whatever way necessarily. You're to be a preacher of the gospel. Ladies, your circle of friends, your circle of friends at work, those you work with, I can't minister to them. I can't witness them. Your pastor may never meet them, but you see them every day. Is the word of the Lord sounding out from you? This was evidence to Paul that they were elected, they were preaching. They were telling, they were proclaiming the word of the Lord. Makes me wonder some of the hardships were even saved. Amen. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. That got a little flat. I'm sorry. Maybe not. But I'm going to say it anyway. He said you got busy preaching the gospel. Good evidence. The theme of their proclamation, the word of the Lord. What does God's word say? We are said to be ambassadors or representatives of Christ. Then the territory, they did it at home, Macedonia and Achaia, and they did it abroad in every place. Then their perception, verse 8. He said, your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Everybody knew the espousal of this faith, the encounter with this faith. Then as we think about this faith, notice the effects of this faith. Verse 9, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was an abandonment. They turned from their idols. This is repentance. Turning. Turning from that that is displeasing to God, that is in the place of God, and turning unto God. That's repentance. I heard a man get sideways because somebody said, you're supposed to repent of your sins. Well, I believe you ought to repent of your sins. He said, the Bible never says that. 
I think idolatry is a sin last time I checked. And they turned from that. Turn from idols to serve. So we see their abandonment, but then we see their allegiance to serve the living and true God. That's the God I serve tonight. He's alive and He's true. <laughs> Isn't that good to know? He's not like that one they're rubbing the belly of. Somebody mentioned, I think it was maybe this morning, maybe last night. Who was that? Was that you, Brother Brandon? It sounded like something you said. Amen. The living. Jesus said, The Father hath life in himself. Our God is not dependent upon anything outside of himself to continue on in existence forever. <laughs> He's true. He's true. He's real. Can I just remind some of God's people tonight? God's real. And anything that's real, anyone that's real can manifest themselves. How real is God in your life? Is he just doctrine you get three times a week? Is he just fellowship with the saints? Or do you fellowship with him? Is he real to you? Is he as real as any of your brothers and sisters? Oh, brother, he's real. He's the true God tonight. They pledged allegiance to him. They began to serve him. They dedicated themselves to the service of God. These are the qualities of faith and repentance. To repent, to turn, and then to trust, to believe, to cast other confidence in, and to serve with all one's heart. As we think about this work of faith and the matter of the effects of it, notice their actions toward each other, the work of faith. Now notice how it's worded in verse 3. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, comma, and labor of love, comma, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the work here came out of faith. Faith in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So work was a result of faith. We've got a lot of free will Baptists in here. Okay, former free will Baptists, but it sounds better just saying free will so I can get you to look at me like you did. <laughs> Works are the product of faith, not the other way around. But I promise you this, where there's faith, there's going to be work. The work of faith comes from faith. So their work of faith. And I want to mention the last two quickly. I don't know how long I've been preaching. Scott just texted me. Let's see what he said. You ain't afraid to do it. I ain't afraid to tell it. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big change in tune. I don't know about y'all. I got nowhere else to be tonight. Amen. I'm just here for this. Amen. That's why I came. Amen. 
their work of faith. You're still laughing, so you're still okay. At least most of you are. Their labor of love. I want to hit it quickly. He says it in verse 3, the labor of love. He really doesn't elaborate on this until chapter 4 and verse number 9. And he says, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. This lets us know that there was an obvious affection that they had one for another. I think we ought to have that. There's a lot of stripes of Baptists in this building. Amen. Probably we wouldn't agree on every uh, jot and tittle of theology and doctrine and maybe not even practice. I don't know. But I do know this. If you're bought by the blood and washed in the blood tonight and saved by the grace of God, it is incumbent upon me to love you and you to love me. And you might as well go ahead and get some practice because you're going to have to put up with me through all of eternity. You're stuck with me, folk. Amen. You don't want to do what you got to do to get away from me. <laughs> Labor of love. Love. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself staked the reputation of his church on this? By this shall all men know because you have love one to another. Now, it's easy when we come here and we don't see folk very often. When you go back to your congregation, and sister, as Bray Stevens used to call her, Sister Bertha, better than you, meets you at the back door. Right? You better love Sister Bertha too. Brother Russell handled that well this morning. But I want to say this. I do want to point this out. Look what he says. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. I don't love you enough. You don't love me enough. Why don't you do better about that? If you'll do better, I'll try to do better, all right? The world's watching. Your babies are watching. Labor of love. If you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how in the world can you love God whom you have not seen? Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Notice what he says in verse 10. I'm kind of glad I'm out of time because I really don't want to have to go here tonight. And to wait for his son from heaven. Raise your hand if you believe that tonight. If you're waiting for his son from heaven, raise your hand. Boy, we all got some pretty sound eschatology here this evening. All right, really all of y'all are wrong. I'm the only one that's right about it. Well, Vincent. But I won't tell you what's wrong with Vincent. But I do know this. I'm looking for him.
I don't have everything figured out between now and then, but I don't really care because he made me a promise. He said, I'm going away, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm coming again to receive you unto myself that wherever I am there you may be also. I believe that tonight. Listen, when you've got a vacation planned out there in the summertime, you might have a thousand things to deal with at the job that you really dread and hate and aren't looking forward to between you and that vacation. But you don't get up every day thinking about all that mess you've got to deal with. You get up thinking about that vacation and that little break. I don't know what to expect between now and him coming, but thank God I'm looking for him to come. I'm waiting for it. I'm expecting it. I'm longing for it. And brother, some days more than others. I think often of John's word, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Would you just come today? Hey, listen, here's one thing I have decided. Wherever I am on my eschatology, if you want to know, I'm not ashamed to tell you. I don't mind that a bit. But, but I, honestly, you can ask some of my friends, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> Well, that went over like a lead balloon, too. You don't believe nothing you wish you didn't believe? Right? I mean, that's how much I believe it. I want to believe something else and can't. I'm in a gong. Pray for me. But I'm waiting for him. Because, brethren, when he shall appear... We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. What glorious hope we have as the people of God. You know what that will do? It will make you patient. That will help you endure. That will help you in the trials and the hard places of this life. To wait for his son from heaven.